This message by Mike Pluniak was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Mike serves as a pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. You can open your Bible to the book of Habakkuk as we continue our summer in the Minor Prophets. If you need a copy of the Scriptures, just raise your hand and an usher will bring you a copy of the Bible that's yours to keep. It'd be helpful this morning to have a copy of the Scriptures in front of you as we look at a number of different verses throughout the book of Habakkuk. And while you turn there, I want to read you a poem entitled, If I Were God. If I were God, the earth I would create would be of peace and love and free from hate. The brotherhood of man, I would insist, would occupy first place upon my list. If I were God, no one would need to pray. On earth, there'd be no danger night or day. There'd be no hurricanes but summer breezes, no thunder, lightning, or diseases. If I were God, no bombs would mankind need. There'd be no social system based on greed. No need for war, no need for devastation, no foreign rule, no economic exploitation. If I were God, there'd be no death or sorrow, no worry what would happen on the morrow. All births at their conception I'd control, no need for death to take its deadly toll. If I were God, there'd be no need to slay, no species fear of being stalked as prey. Life could then subsist on vegetation. There'd be no need for wildlife preservation. If I were God, it would be no mother's fate, a Mongol child or spastic to await. Pregnancy would be of short duration, a painless and enjoyable occasion. I guess some of you are amening that one, the last stanza there. Basically, the author is saying... I don't like the way God does things. And I would do them differently if I were God. Now, maybe we would be wise enough to never say that. But even if we wouldn't necessarily say we would do things differently than God, we often have questions about why God does the things He does. We don't understand We look at our lives, people around us, things happening in the world, and we wonder why. That is where the book of Habakkuk begins. Habakkuk has questions, even complaints about how God is running things. And Habakkuk is going to bring these complaints to God, and we this morning get to listen into this conversation, this back and forth between Habakkuk and God. And it's going to instruct our hearts this morning. It's going to teach us how to bring these questions to God. And we're going to hear as Habakkuk comes to the Lord with his complaints about how God is running things, we're going to hear the Lord's perspective. He's going to give us A different way to view things. Different than how we would normally look at them. And I believe the main point, the thing we're going to take away this morning is to trust 
God, even when we don't understand what He is doing. We're going to learn to trust God by the end of this book, even when we don't understand what He is doing. Let's begin in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to read the first four verses of this book. Habakkuk 1, verse 1. This is what God's Word says to us this morning. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed. And justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Now Habakkuk is unique among the prophets we've been studying. Typically, you may have noticed that the role of the prophet was to take God's people to task for neglecting to worship God or to honor God or to obey God. And the prophet would come and and hear from the Lord and would pronounce judgment or consequences on the people of God for disobeying God. And he would call them to repentance and to turn once again and to trust in the Lord. He was taking God's people to task. But Habakkuk flips that and he takes God to task for what he perceives is God not fulfilling his end of the covenant. And the structure of the book is pretty simple. It's this back and forth. It's Habakkuk complains to God and then we're going to hear God's response. And then Habakkuk responds again and then we hear what the Lord has to say about that. And then in chapter 3 it ends with this prayer from Habakkuk of trust in God and his sovereignty. So it all begins in chapter 1 in these first four verses with Habakkuk asking God the question, why do you tolerate wrong? Why do you tolerate wrong? Habakkuk wants to know why evil people continue to go unpunished in their sin. And he's not talking about evil people out there. Habakkuk is referring to evil and wickedness within the people of God. Among the people of Israel, there's immorality and there's violence and there's injustice and there's this disregard for God's law. It's why in verse 4, he says, so the law is paralyzed. God's law is not being apply. The leaders are not leading based on God's law. Wickedness is allowed to flourish among the people of God. And Habakkuk wants to know, why are you allowing this God? Why are you tolerating this wrong? And we don't know much about Habakkuk. Chapter 1 verse 1 tells us his name. We don't know much about him, but there's several things we figure out really quickly just from reading the first four verses. Habakkuk was jealous for God's glory and for God's people to honor him. He hated sin and wickedness. He also knows 
that God can do something about this. He knows God is powerful and mighty and he can deal with the wicked. And we also know that Habakkuk interacts with God. So many times when we're looking for answers, we search everywhere instead of going to the source, God himself. It's instructive for us this morning that Habakkuk begins by going to God. Probably most of us, if not all of us, have had hard thoughts or questions about God at times. We don't understand what God is doing. Even this week I was having a conversation with a member of the church who has a granddaughter who is in the hospital with an incurable disease. And just with tears in his eyes was describing the suffering that she is enduring. And he was just asking, you know, how, how does God view this? How does God view children that suffer and die? And, and I told him, you, it's good to go to the Lord with these questions. It's good to take our, our burdens and our questions and our struggles and to bring them to God. God can handle our questions. God's not insecure. He's not worried that we're going to stumble upon something that is going to trip him up. God loves for us to pray to him and to come to him with our struggles and to search his word for answers. God doesn't correct Habakkuk and say, well, who are you to ask me this question? But what God actually does is God answers him. He comes and he brings his complaint and he's zealous for God's glory and God answers Habakkuk. Look at verse 5 of chapter 1. God responds to him, look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. And then look down at verse 11. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. So Habakkuk, why do you tolerate wrong? And God's answer is, I'm raising up Babylon to deal with your sin. Now, the Chaldeans are the early name for the Babylonians. This was a nation that was growing strong, and they were rising up, and they were surrounding Israel and Judah, and God says that he himself is raising them up. So God's answer to Habakkuk is, I'm not going to tolerate this wrong, but I'm going to send an ungodly nation to subdue your evil. Let me tell you, this was not the answer Habakkuk was looking for. There's not much comfort here. This doesn't really solve Habakkuk's problem. It actually creates a whole new problem for him. So God is going to bring judgment on Israel, but he's going to use a nation more wicked than Israel to bring this judgment upon Israel. Do you see 
how this would be hard for Habakkuk. Why do you tolerate evil among your people? Well, the answer is someone more evil than you is going to come along and prosper by conquering your evil. Okay, that's God's answer to Habakkuk's question. Habakkuk's response can basically be boiled down to this. What? What are you talking about? I mean, his answer is the Babylonians. Why would you use them? It's like he's telling God, that's, that's not an answer. You know, that's not what I was looking for. Look down at verse 12 of chapter 1. He says, this is Habakkuk's response. Are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment. And you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil cannot look at wrong. Why? Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? See, he doesn't understand. I mean, Israel has problems, but they are worse. That's what he's saying. And you can see, you can see what's happening here is his theology of God isn't lining up with his experience of what's happening. And we see that in verses 12 and 13. Habakkuk knows God is holy. Verse 12, you are the holy one. His ways are everlasting. He is the Lord, our rock. Verse 13, he is pure. You cannot even look at evil because you're holy, holy, holy. Habakkuk knows the Lord and so he's confused. You're going to use these traitors, this wicked nation to judge your people to Habakkuk. God's solution seems worse than the problem. When he says, are you not from everlasting, is Habakkuk's way of saying, can't you do it another way? I mean, you are God. You are holy and pure and eternal. There has to be another way. It's Habakkuk's way of saying, if I were God, this is not how I would do this. This doesn't make sense, God. I don't understand. Why do you tolerate wrong? Well, I don't. Raising up this ungodly nation to conquer you. What? The Babylonians, why would you use them? In chapter 2, verse 1, the end of this question is Habakkuk climbing up onto a watchtower. And he goes to God and he brings his complaint to God and he basically says to God, you know, I'm going to stand here and wait because I really want to hear your answer to this. I'm going to stand here and I'm going to wait for you to answer me, Lord. Why would you use them? And God's reply here in chapter 2 is really where this book takes a turn. Look at chapter 2, verse 2. Habakkuk is waiting for his reply. And the Lord answered me. Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. 
He's telling them, write this down. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. God's answer to Habakkuk is wait and have faith for my sovereign plan to unfold. Why would you use them, God? I don't understand. And God's answer is wait and have faith because I'm doing something. I'm doing something that you would not believe if I told you. He's going to go on in chapter 2 to tell Habakkuk that he is going to judge Babylon as well. That the plunderer will themselves be plundered. God's going to deal with Babylon in due time. But the word to Habakkuk is wait. God's timetable is very different than our timetable. God is eternal. He exists outside of time. He sees the beginning from the end. Isaiah 49, 9 and 10. He says, For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purposes. See, Habakkuk is zealous for God's glory. He hates evil. He doesn't understand why God would allow this. And and God graciously gives Habakkuk a bigger view of history. He opens his eyes beyond his current circumstances to see that, that God is the one in control, that all of history is in his control, that he is doing something. And Habakkuk doesn't understand, but he's giving them a greater vision of God's control over all things. I don't know if you've seen this recently, but there is a whole new race to space. Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson have started companies, Blue Origin and Virgin Galactic, and they are trying to, they are taking people into suborbital space. Both companies aim to boldly go where no manned commercial spacecraft have gone before, 60 miles above sea level, where you can spend a few minutes weightless and enjoying a different view of earth. You go up, it launches you up, you enjoy three to four minutes of weightlessness, and you get to see the curvature of the earth, and you get to look down and get a whole new perspective on earth. Richard Branson went this week. He actually accomplished this flight. And Jeff Bezos is going this week. It's kind of a a race to space, and you can go as well. For the small fee of $250,000, you can book your future flight into space. And amazingly, 700 people have already got their tickets, including Tom Hanks, Justin Bieber, and Lady Gaga have already signed up for future flights. And I thought it was so interesting. That's the beginning price. It's probably going to go up, they said. It's just kind of a deposit for your adventure into space. Two hundred and fifty thousand dollars for a few 
minutes of perspective. Listen, when God's Word says it's more precious than gold, it really is. Because in Habakkuk 2, what we find is something more valuable than a few minutes in space. It can change your whole life. It can change your whole perspective because God is telling us that there is this plan unfolding in his life and in history and that God is in control of it. That God is the one that that he's not like us. His timetable is not our timetable. His ways are not our ways. We are limited. He is eternal. We have this short-sighted perspective and he controls all of history. I remember being a college student in VFC and with a group of guys reading through Wayne Grudem's systematic theology for the first time. And I remember coming across this picture, this theological diagram. We have a picture of it, I think, this morning for you. And I remember coming across this picture of just, it's so simple. It's a very theologian, the way he draws things out, you know, but it's creation all the way to eternity. Uh, It's a relationship of God to time, and it just shows God outside of time, seeing everything at once, the beginning from the end. I know it's very simple, but when I saw it as a college student, it blew my mind. I just thought, I've never thought about God is not subject to time. God exists outside of time. He created it. He is eternal. He is present everywhere at once. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He tells Habakkuk, listen, there's a whole vision here that's coming, that's happening. I'm working everything by my will. And you don't understand, but trust me, it's coming. Look at verse 14, talking about the Babylonians and the judgment that's coming on them. He says in verse 14 of chapter 2, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It's like the Babylonians are coming and they're just sweeping. They had a scorched earth policy. And it's like the Babylonians are coming and they're just sweeping the earth, covering and conquering everybody. And God says that their days are numbered for my glory is going to cover the earth. Don't worry about them. I'm going to deal with them in time. And Habakkuk's response and our response, God says, is to wait. So hard. Wait. Look back at verse 3 of chapter 2. The vision's hastening to the end. It's not going to lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. In our day, we do not like waiting. I mean, we are accustomed to instant everything. Instant news, instant entertainment, instant food, instant solutions. You just pop open your phone or computer. You just Google that and there's the answer right there. Top three answers right in front of you. I even read recent research that has shown that most people give up waiting on a website page if it doesn't load within three seconds. They're telling web designers, you have three seconds and that's all you have for that page to load. After three seconds... 
We simply give up. I, I can't, I mean, I don't have four seconds to be waiting for this page to load. This is crazy, you know? 1,001, 1,002, I'm gone, I'm out of here. We, don't, we can't even wait four seconds. I don't know if we have any Brian Regan fans in here, the comedian, but he has this whole sketch about microwaving Pop-Tarts. And his whole point is, who doesn't have time to toast a Pop-Tart? Like, how long does it take to toast a Pop-Tart? You have to microwave it? You, don't, you need to loosen up your schedule if you can't wait to toast a Pop-Tart. I mean, everything is, is, is fast and it's instant and it happens right now. And we want it now. We want the answer now. And God's word to us this morning is you're going to have to wait. You're going to have to wait. God is working all of history to his desired end. God's timetable is not like our timetable. One day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day to the Lord. If it seems slow, if it seems like the next page you are waiting to load in your life isn't loading fast enough, if the next season isn't coming fast enough, if your prayers aren't being answered quick enough, the Lord says, just wait. I am doing something you would not believe if I told you. Maybe, maybe this morning you desire to get married and it just hasn't happened yet. Maybe you desire children and the Lord hasn't given you any children yet. Or you're pursuing adoption. And it's just a sea of paperwork and it's piled up and you're filled it out and everything's been approved and you're just waiting to be matched with a child. And you're just waiting and waiting. And you're saying to the Lord, we're, we're ready. There has to be a child in need. We're open and ready for business. And you're just waiting. Maybe it's healing and you're praying and praying maybe it's a friend or family member who you've been praying for for years and God's answer is just wait for it it's going to come it's not going to delay but you're going to have to wait Galatians 6 9 and let us not grow weary in doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. I read one commentator who said many impatient Christians' faith fizzles before the finish line. Listen, don't give up. Don't quit. Don't give up trusting God. Wait for the Lord. That's his answer to Habakkuk. I know you don't understand and your theology of me is not lining up with your present circumstances, but just wait for it. We trust God even when we don't understand what he is doing because he is working all of history to his desired end and he calls us to trust him and to have faith in him. Look again at verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. That, that first part of the verse is speaking of the Babylonians. They're arrogant and they are proud and they have these inflated egos and they think that they're doing their will. And God is going to say throughout chapter 2 to them, oh, oh, your end is coming. I'm using you for my purpose and then I'm going to judge you. But for Habakkuk, for God's people, 
In contrast to the Babylonians' pride, he tells them this. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Live by faith. This is the verse the Apostle Paul quotes in Romans 1.17. When he says, do not be ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation. For the righteous shall live by faith. We are declared righteous by faith. It's this verse, Habakkuk 2.4, that sparked the Protestant Reformation as Martin Luther was wrestling with, what do I have to do to be made right with God? And he's thinking and thinking and thinking, and this verse keeps coming back to his mind, and he realized the righteous shall live by faith. It's by faith. It's by grace alone that we are saved. God was doing something in Habakkuk's day that he wouldn't believe if he told him. God was working this whole plan of redemption and salvation. All of history was moving towards God's desired end for it. And he's telling Habakkuk, just have faith. Trust me. Believe in me. I know exactly what I'm doing. By the way, everything God says is going to happen. It does happen exactly as God tells them it will. It's all fulfilled. Every single word of it. Babylon does come. And they do conquer the Israelites. But God keeps a remnant. Just as he said he would. Just as we read that scripture from Isaiah 43. And in due time, the Babylonians are conquered. God brings back the remnant of Israel just like he said he would. God miraculously allows them to rebuild the temple, even using foreign kings and money, and eventually from that remnant of people that God preserves throughout all time comes the Savior, Jesus Christ, just as God said he would be. Born of a virgin, like God said he would be. Emmanuel, God with us, who would heal the lame and the blind and would preach good news to the poor, just as God promised. And just as God told us in Isaiah 53, he would be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and by his wounds we would be healed. And he was resurrected on the third day, just as he said he would be. Everything God says comes to fruition. Every word is fulfilled. See, if I were God, and I did things my way, yeah, yeah, I would write out all suffering and wrong and pain. You know what else I would do unknowingly? I would write out the cross of Jesus Christ. I would write out the only way of salvation. The only way for sinners like us to be reconciled to a holy God. I'd never come up with that. Praise the Lord that he is God and we are not. He knows what he's doing. He's working his plan. He's sovereign. And, and that's where Habakkuk lands. He praises God for his redemptive work. See, he begins with complaining and he ends with praising. He starts with, why do you tolerate this? Why are you using them? God says, I'm working my plan. Just wait and have faith. And it ends with Habakkuk 
praising the Lord for his goodness and grace. It's instructive for our souls this morning. Sometimes in our battle with doubt or unbelief or questioning God, sometimes half the battle is just knowing where to go in God's word. Listen, Habakkuk is a great place to go. You can go there. If you, just, if you ever think, man, I have questions. I'm wrestling. I'm wrestling with doubt. Where, where can I go in God's word? Go to the prophet Habakkuk. And just see, oh, I'm not alone. There's other people who've had questions about God. And God loves to reveal himself. And you'll read through Habakkuk and you'll get to chapter 3. And you'll see this praise of Habakkuk to God and his trust in God. And it will serve your souls. In chapter 3, instead of looking forward with a limited perspective, Habakkuk chooses to look back. He looks back at all that God has done. You've probably heard the saying, hindsight is 20-20. Habakkuk would certainly agree with that statement. Because as he looks at the future, even as he looks at the present, it's blurry and fuzzy, and he's not clear what God is doing, and he can't see what's ahead. And then in chapter 3, he chooses instead to look back. And he looks back at all the things God has done. Look at chapter 3, verse 2. He says in chapter 3, verse 2, O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known in wrath. Remember mercy. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. Chapter 3. It's like a, a trailer for an action movie. It's just one scene after another of God's powerful work throughout history for the people of God. He's remembering Mount Sinai when God covered the mountain in his glory and there was flashes of lightning coming from his hand. And he remembers when God delivered them from Egypt and the plagues that fell on the Egyptians when the Nile turned to blood and hail and fire rained down on the Egyptians. And he's remembering when the Red Sea parted before them and they went through on dry land and Pharaoh's army followed them and the waters crashed down on top of them. In verse 11, he says the sun and the moon stood still in their place. He's remembering when Joshua was leading the people to conquer the promised land and God made the sun stand still in the sky for a whole day. It's just scene after scene, action-packed, God's power, God's deliverance, God's power, God's deliverance. One scene after another. The way to stir your faith is look back at all that God has done. Habakkuk's going, I had questions, but now, now that I think about it, you have been pretty amazing over the years. For us on this side of the cross, we have to look back at the Savior. Savior. 
We have to look at what God has done to save us, to deliver us, to free you from the prison of sin that you were in. This week, we went on a pastoral team retreat. Man, we went camping for a night, and we spent some time praying together. We went on a prayer walk. And one of the things we were just praying for was just God's sovereignty in our lives. We were thanking God for the gospel. We were praying. We were thanking God for his sovereignty in the life of Cornerstone Church. And as we were praying, I was just reminded, looking at this pastoral team, just thinking, how did we all get here? Like, this is not normal. You know that already, but this is just weird, you know? And I started thinking about my life growing up in New York and then, you know, my parents getting divorced and moving here and all the moves and all the thousands of little details in my life that I had no idea what was happening or why it was happening. And it all led me to this little room in Reese Hall to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God saved me from my sin. The gospel was so sweet to me. I was so lost. So miserable, and the gospel was so sweet. I thought all those details, thousands of details, God was working just for me because He loved me. I look around this room, there's all of us have testimonies, stories of God's amazing grace in your life. Some of you, it's a miracle you're even alive today, you know, and God has preserved you. Look back. Remember what God has done. When you're struggling in your faith, when, you're, when the future is fuzzy, when the, when the present is confusing, look back. It's what Habakkuk chooses to do. John Piper says this. He says, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. Now, I've heard that quote many times. But I've never heard anyone quote the rest of that sentence. Here's what he goes on to say. Not only may you see a tiny fraction of what God is doing in your life, the parts you may see may make no sense to you. It's so true. We trust God even when we don't know what he is doing. And it's a wonderful blog post from 2013 where John Piper just walks through all these scriptures in the Bible over and over and over where they don't know what God is doing but he's using them for his glory. You may find yourself in prison and God may be advancing the gospel among the guards and making the free brothers bold. You may find yourself with a painful thorn and God may be making the power of Christ more beautiful in weakness. You may find yourself sold into slavery, accused falsely of sexual abuse and forgotten in a prison cell and God may be preparing you to rule a nation. You may be You may walk through famine, be driven from your homeland, lose husband and sons, and be left desolate with one foreign daughter-in-law, and God may be making you an ancestor of a king, even the Savior one day. You may be sexually pure, single person, and yet accused of immorality, and God may be preparing you as a virgin blessing in ways no one can dream. God is at work. God is doing 10,000 things. And I love where Habakkuk lands. Listen, the Babylonians are still coming. Circumstances have not changed. Okay? And listen as we conclude with verse 17 of chapter 3. Just listen to this prayer 
of Habakkuk. May it be our prayer this morning. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Though there's going to be no fruit, he's trembling. They're coming. God said what's going to happen. Though the fields fail, though there be nothing in the harvest, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to trust the Lord. Remember, just remember when you read those verses where Habakkuk started. It was a process. He started by going to the Lord. Why do you tolerate wrong? And God answers him. And God gives him a new perspective. And he lands at the end of chapter 3 with some of the most profound and meaningful words ever written. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. May that be our prayer. May that be our hearts. That we would trust God like that. Even when we don't know what he is doing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the songs we sang. Thank you for that prophetic word. Thank you for meeting with us through scripture reading and pastoral prayer. You have been so good to us, God. You love making your glory known. And so I pray for this congregation this morning, Lord. For every person here, whatever their circumstance, whatever they're struggling with, whatever their question about you, God, I pray that you would fill Cornerstone Church with faith this morning. Yes. That we would have faith in you, God. That you are sovereign. That you're working your will. That you're good to us. Even for those suffering and struggling, may they see you are sovereign God. Controlling all things for your glory and our good. Give us the gift of faith this morning, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You've been listening to a message given by Mike Pluniak during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.